CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Hello and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about this show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag leadership. Today's topic is rather interesting. It's about leading difficult conversations. And our guest for today's show is John Walton, who's the CIO with the uh, County of San Mateo, California. How are you, John? I'm doing How well. How are you this Thank morning? Thank you very much. Great, great, and uh, glad to have you back again. Now, we are going to talk about some of those conversations that we love putting off. You know, the ones when you know you should talk to someone, but you don't. And this can happen in our personal life with spouse, children, parents, and friends. And, of course, uh, when we talk about professional life with the ones who report to you, as well as the ones we report to. So I'm referring to those difficult conversations, which is which can be an art or a science. So can you or should you prepare to lead them successfully? Uh, let's dive in and discuss. So, John, the first question for you is, in your view, what are some of those key inhibitions, fears, doubts, and challenges that prevent almost the very best of us, in many cases, to cringe when you face with this uh, interesting challenge or opportunity to lead a difficult conversation? Well, it's a really good question, and this is a great topic, because I think it's one of the, the unique challenges as you become a leader. And perhaps because I'm a, a technologist at heart and, and started out at a low level, uh, you know, technical level in an IT organization, and then matured over the last 20 to 25 years as I became a manager, it's one of those things that I think we don't think about enough. Um, and, and because I work in government, because I work in government technology, it's even more uh, germane for me in a couple ways. One is I think, you know, we are, we are early on in our careers as technologists uh, subtly trained that our, our performance and our success is based on individual contribution at times, um, you know, on time, on budget, technical expertise, and things like that. And very rarely, um, historically, I should say, and by historically I mean <laughs> 20 or 25 years again, um, was, was the ability to have a conversation, to have a dialogue, uh, to have some of those soft skills really stressed. And so what I saw happen, and this has changed, frankly, in the last, you know, probably two or three years with, I think, the, the explosion of social media and people being much more socially engaged, which I think has actually changed a lot. But, but again, I think the history of the avoidance of difficult conversations is because we spent years and years, um, you know, heads down doing work, we avoided conflict, interpersonal conflict. You know, we were more than willing to dive in and solve a technical problem and work, you know, late hours or seven days a week to solve a technical issue or to, to take training and things. But I think we, we didn't develop a lot of times as staff, and then those didn't get translated as we became leaders, uh, how, how to have difficult conversations, um, what those skills were, what our role in having the difficult conversation was. And as you, 
And as you put it so succinctly, you know, just starting the conversation, I think, is often the hardest part. You know, a lot of times when you're in organizations, um, either you're new to an organization and, and you don't want to make enemies when you first go into the organization, or you've, you've been in the organization a long time and a lot of the people you need to have hard conversations with are your friends or potential allies or competitors to your success in the organization. And so it becomes a real inhibitor. And so I think it's something we really need to think about in training our staff and mentoring our staff. At some point, we have to be thoughtful about uh, we need to help them develop those skills to, to know when to start the conversation and, as you put it, not avoid the conversation and start the dialogue. Now, we all talk about uh, this conversation being something which we cringe at, but if, if we have to do it regardless, should there be any planning or purpose behind it? Because once one school of thought says that if you plan too much, then you are kind of staging it, which in a way takes the spontaneity and the human element, which makes difficult conversations easy. But if you totally go blank and you do not have a purpose in mind, then you could get emotionally pulled into that conversation because then your agenda might conflict with the other person, and, and that could lead to more harm than good coming out of it. Well, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think there's a couple, uh, couple elements to, to your question that I just I want to touch on briefly. One is, I think, and I think the word itself, conversation, is indicative of sometimes the hard conversation is just having a conversation. There's, there's been a number of times, uh, and because I'm a CIO, I tend to move from organiza organization to organization, like a typical CIO, every, every four or five years. And one thing I've noticed is there's a lot of times there's hard things you have to say to people. And that is not so much as a conversation. So I do try to script out sometimes in my personal uh, view of it, when I go in to an organization or I've, I need to convey some things to the team or to the organization staff, sometimes it is, I think, good to script out because if there's four or five things you just need to convey that are hard things to just talk about, you know, this project's going to be late or um, we're going to have to make some changes to the organization and lay some people off or we're in budget trouble and we're going to have to make some changes in this area. Sometimes that isn't so much as a conversation is, is it's just a conveying of information. Right? And so I think in that sense, I think it is good to be prepared and say, here's three to five things I need to make sure I very clearly, directly convey to the people I'm communicating with, whether it's my peers or my, or my bosses or my staff that I just need to get across. But I think what we're talking about here more is the conversational aspect of it. And that's the interesting thing. Again, when you, when you get to a certain level in an organization, I think sometimes especially with your staff and with your peers, they assume it's the first, what we just talked about, that you're just going to convey something in a one-way direction to them. And so there's been a number of times where I've, I've held a meeting where I've said, we all need to get together and talk about this situation. And even the title of the situation, when you put it on the meeting request or you tell people we're going to talk about something, you can see that the tense, you know, the tense reaction to just the, the, the subject matter. And so then there will be a number of times where people come in and, and, and they're waiting. They're waiting for that one-way communication. And I'll start the conversation. And I'll say, look, I'm very concerned. Uh, you know, this is going on or this has happened or we need to make a change in this area. Let's talk about it. And, and to your point, um, people say, well, what do you want to get out of this? You know, what do you want to convey to us? 
um, we're, we're ready to hear what you have to say. And I say, no, it's, it's not. I, I purposely did not create an agenda. Um, I don't have anything to convey to you in the last 30 seconds I just conveyed to this group. <laughs> All I was going to convey, I want to have a conversation. I want to go around the table or free form, and I just want everybody to talk about how they feel about this, how they view the situation. And it may lead to follow-up conversations, but I, sometimes I think that's the most important thing is creating the forum and bringing together the group. And sometimes it's just one other person. Sometimes it might be multiple people. And just opening, um, opening the conversation so you get over that barrier of that just broaching um, a very difficult topic that, that you're right, people want to avoid sometimes. So your approach that you mentioned, in a, in a healthy way, if I were to come from a, an opposite angle, if someone you, you talk to or you say, I'm going to have a conversation with like X number of people or an individual, the guy might get a heart attack because he doesn't know what you're going to talk about since you deliberately did not put the agenda there. What if you had put an outcome, that intended outcome of this conversation is where I need to get to a resolution versus just having a conversation? Would that put people at ease and come in with a little more or a little less defensive mindset versus saying my job would be at stake, so I've got to prepare all the things that I ever needed to defend myself versus coming with an open mind that even John is coming to the table with an intent to resolve it versus to fire me? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it does it does change the mindset going to the meeting. So as as the leader of the conversation, you have to be thoughtful of that. If you need an outcome, you know, we're late on this project, we need to set a new date, I need to convey that out. Or we need to change the organization or we're short on budget. Um, those types of conversations, if you know as the leader of the conversation you need an outcome that day, then I think it's only fair to, to be honest, because I think that's part of the hard conversation is the honest element of it, right? To, to prepare people to say, by the end of this conversation, and we'll stay as long as it takes, or we don't have much time, we only have this hour, that we need to resolve X, Y, Z. Personally, I feel it's better to let people know that a, that a, that a point needs to be made or a decision needs to be made so that they do come prepared, either emotionally or mentally, Right, and I'll tell staff, bring, bring your ideas, bring your thoughts, um, bring, you know, whatever, whatever you want to present, but just know, you know, we have a short time to discuss and decide on this. You're going to get five minutes or ten minutes to present your view on it, and then we're going to have a discussion, and then, then we'll decide. And ultimately, if we can't all uh, decide together on a single solution, then, you know, the leader of the conversation has to make the decision, and, and, and the team has to... Uh, has to be the, the the joint voice of that decision. But just back to the back to the other scenario, I, I I do see, and I think you're right. I do see sometimes even more anxiety um, when when we say that there isn't an outcome to a conversation. It's interesting, you know. People don't want to go into a hard conversation because there's a perception of winner or loser. Either my view is going to prevail, or I'm going to be told that uh, my view doesn't prevail, and I'm going to perceive myself as the loser. And, and there's anxiety to that, but there's also a closure to it at the end of the conversation. They know at the end of a conversation, I'm going to hear good news or bad news. I'm going to feel like I won. I'm going to feel like I lost. I'm going to feel upset. But it, it, it is a closure point that then they can move beyond. Sometimes the harder conversation is, and, and you don't intentionally, I think, do this to people as the leader of the conversation, but sometimes these problems or conversations are, are so large and complex, they can't be resolved. 
in a single conversation. Um, when, you're, when you're completely revamping an organization or, or seeking a solution to a very large organizational or performance, and I don't mean performance of an individual, I mean performance of uh, maybe a whole uh, group of people, sometimes that can't um, be resolved. And, it's, and you know it's going to be a very dynamic. And so um, when you call those together and you need to let them know up front, we're going to go into this and there's not going to be an outcome. I think you're right. Um, I think that does create in, in some people and some personalities even a higher level of anxiety. But unfortunately, you know, these things can't always be resolved in just one conversation. When you talk about the assumptions, like suppose you, you, they might make some assumptions about you, the ones who are being invited to the conversation, and you going in, is that, is that reasonable for us to also make assumptions about their intentions? Because on one hand, if we don't make any assumptions, we would not have a way to lead in to the conversation, which will take us in a given uh, direction. But if we don't make any assumptions again, um, and, and, and in that case, we would not be prepared. So, so that assumption making on your side, how, how valuable it is, or it's better to not make assumptions when going in? I, I, think, I think going into a conversation, whether you're the leader of the conversation or a participant, an equal, an equal participant, or, or, or perhaps someone's just been asked to you know, participate in more of a passive way, I think it's always good to be prepared. And, and preparation, I think, is based on assumptions to some degree. Um, you know, I think as leaders, we all, we all probably are in a lot of uh, difficult uh, conversations on a regular basis. And I think one of the keys to our success, either as a leader or a participant, uh, in those conversations is being as prepared as we can. Um, I don't, and I think... I think the the success of it really comes from preparing, but not being emotionally attached to what you've prepared. So let me give you an example. I, I've had a number of um, bosses I've worked for, um, and part of I think having the difficult conversation with them and what I learned from them was you should always assume if you know you're going to be called into a different conversation with a group or with your with your boss um, about what you think. If you, if you know what the topic is, what you think they're going to be looking for in that conversation. So I've had some bosses that were very data-driven. And so if I saw the title of a meeting about, you know, Project X, I'd say, okay, well, then I'm going to make sure I know what's going on with that project, where we're at budgetarily, any history, any issues. I've had other bosses that were very um, more interpersonal, emotionally driven about, I don't care what the data says, so-and-so said this, they're very upset, how are we going to deal with how they feel about it. And, and some are in between, but I just give two sort of extreme examples because it goes back to your assumptions. I think for me, the assumptions I would make is if I, if I understand the personalities, if I understand the personalities and the, and the preferences of the people I'm going to the different conversation with, I try to prepare based on how I think is the most effective way to communicate with them based on how I know they like to engage in the conversation. On the other hand, I have to balance this out, is I think the danger when you prepare is you get um, psychologically and emotionally attached to what you've prepared. And so some of the biggest mistakes I made is I made an assumption this one time uh, about what a person wanted to talk about based on a, a uh, uh, topic. And then I went in, I had put together this great PowerPoint, I had all this data, 
and um, what I didn't do was read the room, read the conversation, read, read the situation, and I was just dedicated to participating in my part of the conversation and conveying this information that I had prepared. I had made these assumptions. I had, I thought this great piece of the conversation I was going to be able to contribute to. And in retrospect, after the conversation, because it was so poorly, I looked back, I was like, you know, I should have just pushed that to the side and said, okay, I can see that my assumption was wrong and just have let that go and head the conversation rather than sort of continue down this path of assumptions of where I thought it was going to go or what I thought it was going to be about. Let's talk about, uh, and we'll, we'll take actually a quick break. When we come back, uh, John, we'll, we'll talk about the difference or the fine line we have to walk between waiting for the right time and procrastinating. So many right. times people go way too far and, and then they do not get the most value of those conversations and or they wait for this right time. If, if you are too premature, when people are not at the right state of mind or it's too quick after the incident because of which you wanted to have the conversation in the first place, it might backfire. It may not lead to the right results. So what's, what's that fine line? How do you determine it? And how do you go about not waiting for too long? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, talk about the right time, waiting for the right time versus stretching it too far so, that so much so that it becomes a procrastination. What's, what's that fine line? How do you determine it's too early or it's too late or, or what's the time when we start it? John? Boy, that is, a, that is a great question. And it is probably, aside from having just starting the difficult conversation, you know, sort of breaking the ice and taking that first step, it is probably the, the toughest piece is uh, knowing when to have the conversation. Because I, I think, you know, what you're, what you're putting your finger on is really if you, if you do it too soon, um, 
sometimes you can be too emotionally invested, right? There's been situations I've been in where something's broken or we've had significant outages or I heard something or I saw something. And, and I think our, my, I shouldn't say our, because I think probably everyone's different. My tendency is to jump right on it. I'm upset about that. I don't understand. I need to have this conversation now because I can only see this is going to keep me awake at night and it's a real problem and I need to engage now. And so my tendency is to engage immediately. Um, I'm probably on the opposite end of the spectrum. I probably should procrastinate more. And that's what I've tried to, to actually train myself. I think, again, I think emotionally and intellectually we're all in different places. I think... For me, the biggest challenge is not uh, engaging in hard conversations too early. Um, I've tried to train myself over the years to say, okay, I need to let a certain number of minutes or hours or maybe even sleep on it overnight and, and ask other people other questions about how they perceived a situation or conversation before I engage in it to give myself some perspective. On the other hand, um, I, I have occasionally, and, and I've seen other people have this problem as well, is, is you wait too long, right? Um, I, I got something the other day from uh, a colleague who was very upset about something, but it was six months ago, right? And I remember thinking to myself, and I didn't want to minimize the fact that I appreciated them reaching out and we were going to have to have this hard conversation, and they were trying to break that ice so we could have it. But I remember thinking to myself, wow, that was six months ago. You know, we needed to have this conversation a lot earlier. I feel, you know, I was trying to remember what happened and said, oh, yeah, well, I, I can see your point. But it was, it was lost. For me, it was lost in the midst of time at that point. So those are two extremes, right? You don't want to be on the one end of the spectrum where um, you're too emotionally engaged like I am sometimes. On the other hand, I think for the people that you want to have the conversation with, if you wait too long, to them it does get so diluted that it doesn't have as much meaning if you wait, you know, months uh, or, or even weeks sometimes. So I think, again, part of the training we have to give people and part of the experience that people have to learn over time and judge the situation and the people in the situation is the timing of the conversation is critical. And for me, personally, it goes to emotional attachment. I want to have enough emotion so people know I'm passionate about it, that I care about it. You know, you want to be able to convey that this is an, this is an important conversation for me. I know it's difficult, but I care. You know, this, this means a lot to me, and I'm emotionally invested in this in the sense that um, I, this is why I want to have the conversation, and it's an important, and, and not have people think I'm just dispassionately sort of theoretically discussing things all the time. On the other hand, I don't want to be so emotionally invested that I lose perspective and that it becomes extremely personal or, or goes in, in directions that aren't professional or, or becomes, a bigger, becomes a bigger conversation than it's really worth. Sometimes you can start difficult conversations in one area and because of people's emotional investment in it, it can you know, spiral into five or ten things by the end of it and you come out of the conversation thinking, well, I was just trying to talk about this one thing and resolve it, and now I have this, this morass of things we're going to have to sort through. And it can have long-term impacts on, on interpersonal relationships and performance in organizations. So you have, to be, you have to be thoughtful about it, and you have to be cautious of it. How about talking related to the buttons we ought to be pushing? 
So what we want is an outcome which, of course, is in the best interest of that individual in question or a group in question as well as the organization we represent or even in personal lives, whosoever we are having this conversation, which, uh, which is supposed to bring the right type of results. Do you think you will get more out when you try to play that passive listener or you would want to push a certain button so that people reveal their true selves, which further tells you a little more about their intentions and or their thinking, which will allow you to lead better? Well, I, I used to think that my talking a lot was the most important part of the conversation. I used to, uh, you know, if I scheduled an hour meeting, you could probably bet that uh, if it was about an important hard thing, I would spend a lot of time with the person I was talking with trying to convey my point of view and 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 in a sense craft the conversation and my points to reach a certain outcome that I wanted to achieve. I've changed, uh, I think, in my perspective on that over the years. I think now, in my, in my view of these things, I think it's important to try to convey what I think about a situation or, or state what I think the outcome should be. But I do find, um, you know, the old truism about uh, listening more uh, has become a lot more true. I think, I think it depends on the conversation, right? There, there's some things certainly that are much more black and white than others. But I find the most difficult conversations for me to have are the ones that are the most opaque or amorphous. You know, the, you know. If, it, if it's a performance conversation, you know, it's hard, but I don't find those as hard anymore. I mean, I've, we've all had to sit down people who are friends at work or maybe even our personal lives and say, this, this behavior or this thing you did isn't acceptable. Here's what I think the outcomes are going to be. And that's a hard conversation to have. But after you've done those numerous times, I think you get, you get a little more... Um, philosophical about these. It's unfortunate, but we just have to have these conversations. And so I think in those conversations to just be direct and to the point um, and just to say, let me give you four or five things why we're having this conversation and here's where we're at. And and then let the person talk is the best way to do it. The, the ones I think that are where you have to listen even more is when there are a lot, and the, and the more senior you are in an organization, I think the more the organization depends on you to try to um, have as neutral a position as possible because there's a lot of facets to complex problems. And so even though it might affect me directly, even though I might end up and somebody says, why did X, Y, Z happening? Even though you know the answer is a very complex one and maybe you don't feel like... Um, that person or that situation warranted that hard conversation, I think you have to listen a lot. You have to take that in and go back and figure out how to engage the individuals as a team uh, and as partners to, to resolve those outcomes. And so I think it's situational dependent, I would say, uh, to answer your question, to come back to your original question. I think it's better in some cases um, to be direct and to direct the conversation and say, here's the outcome, here's where we're going. And here's where I see the points to be and to talk and then, but give the person some time to respond, but then just 
I, I don't think there's benefit to talking something to death at some point. It's better to keep those conversations short, convey the information, and then move on. But there's other times I think you really have to be in a listening mode when it's a complex problem and, and take more of a, I'm going to hear all the sides of this and then reflect on it, even if it leads to follow-up hard conversations. Now, you could be leading when you are not the one who is inviting the other party. Or perhaps you could also be leading when the people who you are speaking with are not the ones who report to you. So you don't have much of an influence on them. For example, your boss. I mean, not in this case or any other case. This is for anyone who's listening. If you were to deal with your boss, who may be the one who is putting a damper on the initiative, which may be hurting the organization, you recognize it, not sure if they do. So you want to make sure that before the damage is beyond control, you have that conversation with them with a mindset of being like a parent where you say, okay, there is a problem. I hope you recognize it and you hope you help us out. And also in the process, don't do that again. How do you you handle such conversations? Because I'm sure your success as a leader is also when you manage up well. Yeah, it it is definitely one of the most interesting things, right? I think most of the time we think a hard conversation is I have to tell one of my staff something or a family member something like that, something I don't want to tell them, something that's unpleasant. But like I said, it's it's for me that has become easier with experience and time and repetition. Um the harder ones are definitely in 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 other areas one with my peers. Right, because my peers I view, um, other department heads I view, you know, as equals. And so when I have to have conversations with them, uh, hard conversations, I think one of the challenges is how am I going to have this hard conversation without alienating them, you know, forever. I need them. We're all partners. Our, our organization's only going to succeed if we're all working together and pulling in the same direction. But I need to have this hard conversation. You know, I need to see their perspective. But I need to find a way to have a hard conversation with them that they and I are able to work through this and come out the other side with a resolution um, and, and a firm partnership. Without that, um, I don't think we're going to be successful. The example you gave is even a better one, though, which is kind of the third, the third leg of the challenges. Uh, there are sometimes that people, whether they're my direct boss or an elected official or something, we have to have a hard conversation with them, and it's it's very awkward, you know, when you first do those types of things where um, it's almost easier to be called in <laughs> as the participant in the card conversation and get the bad news. We're not going to give you any money. We don't think you're performing well. You failed us on this project. I hate those conversations, but, um, you know, you're not the leader of that conversation, and you work for people, and you say, okay, well, I appreciate them sharing that with me. I need to do better. But the example you gave is one of the most challenging ones for us where somebody that's superior to us, you know, we need to convey to them, look, you took a really hard position on this and you're giving a lot of people direction, myself included, or maybe directly to me, and you're wrong. And you're wrong either emotionally or factually. And then how do I have that hard conversation, right? How do, how do you find the right time and, and, and engage in a way where you're still respectful of, uh, of the employment relationship or organizational relationship and understanding that you're definitely lower in the organization than them, but you need to find a way to convey to them. And, and those, are, those are probably the hardest conversations to have because at the end of the day, you know you need to convey it 
uh, as a professional. You need to you need to share your view on it. But at the end of the day, you also know that um, the decision is going to perhaps be made above you. And whether you agree with it or not, you have to be at peace with having the conversation and then accepting that the outcome may not be the outcome you want to see. And 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 live with that not just. Um, in a negative way, but embrace that and say, I'm part of this organization and part of my job is to perform for this organization. And I'm satisfied that we had the conversation and now we can move on and, and work together on whatever the game plan is or on whatever the outcome is. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about the, the managing of that conversation because on one hand, we want the other person to talk. At the same time, you, you want to be like an expert facilitator who makes sure that while the person talks, but there is a framework being drawn that if they go outside, you got to rein them back in because you have a job to do. You have an, accom- an objective to accomplish. How do you do that without uh, coming across as someone who is there to drive an agenda? Because you very well mentioned in the beginning that, hey, let's have a conversation, but behind the scenes, you were thinking that it has to maintain, uh, there should be a periphery around which around this whole conversation so that we get to the desired outcome. How do you make that happen? How to, how to be that expert facilitator when leading difficult conversations? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So let's talk about the tangential conversations which could start happening. And you, while you were leading difficult conversations, you wanted them to talk, but now they're talking about everything else but the subject matter. So you've got to rein them back in. And you don't want to come across as someone who had an agenda because you said up front you did not have that agenda. What do you do in that case, John? 
Well, that goes back to the honesty thing. If, if you have an agenda, I think you just have to tell people you have an agenda. Now, there is some, I'll give you two examples that we currently use in my current organization. I have a, a group I get together um, that I kicked it off when I first joined the county called the, the leadership group. And uh, I, I, my view of it was I just wanted to get some of the senior management, uh, IT management together to just have a conversation once a week. I felt like there were too many silos and that we just needed a forum for an hour every week where people could just come in and sit down and talk, right? And, and I was very clear with the group, but back to our previous example, it made a lot of people uncomfortable where they would always be asking, well, what's the agenda? What are we going to talk about? Why are we getting together? Is this a really good use of my time to come to this meeting if there isn't an agenda, if there isn't? And so it was an interesting, I guess, uh, study for me in social dynamics where my view of it was, well, we should just get together and talk because I just think building relationships, not being in our cubicles or offices and our little operational silos, I think it's important once a week to just sit down as a group and just have a conversation as a team about what's going on, you know, in, in the world, in life, in the department, in the organization, and just talk. But um, the interesting thing for me on that was is the group wasn't comfortable with that. And so ultimately what we ended up doing with that group is saying, okay, the group will meet. There will be a, a different chair every month. Somebody will volunteer to be sort of the facilitator of the discussion. And there will be an agenda, and they'll ask for agenda items, and that person will keep them on track, to your example. Um, we'll have a, a portion of the time set aside for just general conversation, but then the rest of the, uh, the conversation, this facilitator, um, will make sure that we hit whatever the group has put up as topics they want to discuss, that they're discussed, that time's allotted to them, and that we move on to the next one. And so. I think that's good. I think, I think we've accomplished two things. One is we've created an opportunity for people to talk about, just in general, what they want to talk about. Um, but it's also for the people in the group that aren't comfortable with sort of more of that free form, uh, let's just talk about anything, whether, whether it's a hard conversation or not a hard conversation. Um, it creates that agenda. It also creates a training environment. Uh, you and I were talking earlier about how do you train people on that. When I started the meetings, I was the chair, right? I called the meeting. But what I noticed was that created an interesting dynamic as well because, again, because I'm superior to them, right, they all work for me, um, there was an assumption that I had things I wanted to convey, that this was John's meeting and John was going to set the agenda and they were going to sit there and they were going to listen. And if I pointed at them and said, what do you think, they would respond. But once I created an environment where I said, well, I'll come to the meeting when I can, but I want this meeting to happen once a week, and each of you has to take a turn facilitating the meeting and leading the conversation and owning um, the engagement of the group and the agenda and the outcomes. It created a training uh, environment as well because they weren't just participants, passive participants, coming and listening then and only talking when they were, you know, when it was germane to their, to their area, but they had to, in a sense, become me. Um, and run those meetings once a week. And so I think, I think they've been good meetings. I think that's, that's part of the challenge for me when I, um, when I went to work in consulting for a while. And uh, it's interesting having been in government and then going and becoming a consultant to government on like strategic planning like I was doing, um, where, you know, time is money, you have, a, you have a fixed bid, you have outcomes, you have deliverables. And that was a good training ground for me. I think... The three years I did that, 
um, was probably the best training I ever had with how to have a conversation, but then get people to an outcome and then allow enough time and, and enough meetings for people just to talk about things in general. But then also, I think what you're talking about is corral the conversation and say, okay, as a consultant, I was hired to do X, Y, Z, and uh, I need to engage with you on that, and we need to reach an outcome, and we can talk about anything you want, but at the, but at the end of this, we need to bring it back to why I'm here and what we're talking about, because I have something I need to produce, right? And I, I still, when I came back from consulting to government, that's the one thing I tried to hold on to that I tried to keep with me was some of those skills I learned uh, as a facilitator and working with a lot of other great consultants. I mean, some of those, some of those folks were one of the best mentors I ever had is how to engage and, and gather a group together and reach an outcome. And sometimes uh, when you're a consultant, you, know, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. So that's one of those interesting uh, sort of hybrid things. You can call a group together and say, you know, we need to have a discussion. And there's an expectation that at some point in this journey of us talking about what's our vision for the future or what's the optimal organizational approach to solving this problem, you might not have a specific outcome in mind, but you know that eventually you have to bring all the ideas and thoughts together through brainstorming or what have you to some type of outcome and conclusion because that's what you're getting paid to do. Let's throw generational differences in the mix. So one was, of course, we were talking about the process or, or the things that the techniques that you might use. Another is to look at who you're dealing with. And I'm assuming there will be some uh, differences in the way these different people from different generations take. I will not call it an attack, but a conversation. They've been put in a situation where somebody's having difficult conversations with them. Are they more receptive versus people more challenging, more combative? What do you see happening based on your experience dealing with different generations, especially when you are trying to lead different conversations? Yeah, I think I think it's the speed or the frequency, probably not the speed's not right, the frequency of the conversations is what changes on a generational perspective in my mind. I, I think, again, if I go back 20 years, um, the expectation is that hard conversations would occur, but they would occur sort of on a, uh, let's say on a lunar calendar or some annual calendar, right? You knew that there was going to be hard conversations. There was almost milestones 20 years ago that you could track. I've got a mid-year review coming up. I've got an annual review coming up. Uh, you know, I've got this major project meeting coming up. And so hard conversations, I think, in past generations tended to occur more around scheduled, regularly scheduled organizational events like performance evaluations or fiscal years or quarters and things like that. That's where you knew you were coming up to some pre-scheduled thing and, and you became anxious because you know, well, this is the opportunity for the hard conversation to happen. I'm not, there wasn't an expectation, not that things didn't happen or there wasn't the, the hallway conversation or the come into my office right now, we got to talk about something conversation. But I think in, in general, 20 years ago, people expected the conversations to happen at those sort of preset organizational milestones or, or activities. What I notice now, um, because we've become a much more social, uh, I think, society, technologically at least, I, I, 
you know, in, in transparency, I talk mainly from the technological technology viewpoint and running a technology organization. My view of the uh, of the the generational difference now is that the frequency of conversation needs to be much higher, and so. The conversations I have with the newer employees we have or the newer generations of workers, they don't want to wait, and they're a little dismayed to think, well, what do you mean I have to wait until my mid-year to hear about this or the end of the project or the budget cycle? And so we've really thought through and brainstormed about how can we deliver um, information more incrementally. And if we have hard conversations, um, maybe have them in, in shorter bursts about, you know, right on a week on a weekly basis. Here's what's going on. Um, one of my new, uh, I have a new assistant CIO, and I love what he's doing. Um, he's he's really short cycle. He's like every morning in my office, I want to get five people together. Uh, it might be the same five people, might be five different people, uh, for 15 minutes and just talk about here's what's going on, here's what's working well, here's not what's going well. Everybody gets two minutes, then we break and we go about our work. And so I see some of the, the older generational workers like, well, wow, every day, I got to meet every day and talk about these things. Whereas the younger generational uh, workers are like, that's great. We get to check in every day. And if there's hard conversations we have to have, we're going to hear it that day, and then we're going to move on to the next day. And they like that frequency. And so I think, especially in government, where Gosh, you know, I have I have staff that have you know worked for us for a few days, all the way up to I have one staff person that's uh, retiring that's been working for us for 48 years, and so I think you have to craft how to have the hard conversations, again based on the the psychology and some of that generational just built into us through how how we came up in our careers. Would you say frequency is one thing that you mentioned? Would qualitatively it would be any different? I, I think. The hard conversations or the difficult conversations, sometimes the longer you wait to have them, and you were asking earlier, which I think this kind of links back to how long should you wait to have the hard conversation. Now, yeah, so what I'm referring to is the quality of the conversation. So suppose you spoke to someone who's a baby boomer versus a Gen X versus a millennial. Would your tone, the words you use, the, the type of style you'll use, the whether you will disclose the agenda or not, would that change based on which generation are you talking to? Have you seen a pattern working well with one versus the other? Oh, absolutely. I, I think the, the Gen Xers, the, the new employees we have coming in, not having an agenda, delivering uh, difficult conversations in shorter bursts um, works better than... Um, the, the older generations of employees like myself, where the expectation is we will have an agenda, I will be prepared, uh, I need to see it coming. Um, is, there's definitely, I think, a, a, a generational aspect to that, right? And if you're going to have a, success, a successful outcome to your difficult conversation, I think you have to be cognizant of that. And so then the difficulty becomes when you have a mixed workforce of older, and gener, older generational workers and, and newer workers, how do you how do you craft difficult conversations that's going to achieve that outcome in the same way? I think I think the best way to achieve outcomes with the the newer workers that are used to that more frequency of conversation is deliver it quick, fast, and in smaller bites. And it doesn't have to be agenda based. It doesn't have to be outcome based. It's more of an emotional. How are we feeling about how we're doing in this area? This is working. That's not working. Let's tweak this. Whereas I think there's an expectation of more of a of a scheduled roadmap and conversational agenda that will happen. 
with with the more traditional 20 to 30 year employees leading difficult conversations is a competency which could not be perhaps taught at a seminar and we know that this type of competency is essential for anyone who is growing within their respective career paths so how as an organization and as leaders you could create uh, such avenues so that people get to practice them. And it's interesting that you cannot fake a leading, like basically a difficult conversation. So how do you make that academy within your organization or use some of the outside resources to make this competency be one of the growth opportunities and, and a, a growth initiative for your organization so everybody benefits? Uh, please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back from a break and discuss. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. So wouldn't it be awesome if we had an academy which will allow us the real-life scenarios and we learn as we go along and learn from others as well as our own practice and experiences. How do you think, given that it's so important, and I hope you agree with me, John, that this is a trait which could make or break somebody's career because I'm sure as they're growing up, how they manage or lead conversations like this is also going to tell others how good or how, how well are they positioned to take on the next set of roles as well. How do you develop something like this? Uh, I, I think the, our, the our training is good. I, I, I don't want to minimize that with, with my other thoughts on this, but um, early in my career I made some real mistakes um, just in communication in general, I should say. It wasn't really a difficult conversation thing, but um, my personality and my communication style was rough, to say the best. And uh, I, I made some mistakes early in my career, and after after getting being on the receiving end of a difficult conversation from my boss, where I was basically told, you know, that was a real huge mistake you made. You should have never done that or said that. 
uh, he was actually kind enough to send me some training. And so I did go to some communication training. Uh, a gentleman who was, um, I think, ex-CNN reporter um, well, it was really good for me. You know, it really opened my eyes into not just the media and communication, but really um, made me think about how to communicate and how to lead conversations and participate in, in difficult conversations. I, you know, back to some of the other examples, though, I think, I think textbook learning or classroom learning is one thing. I think that's good. I think it, it gets people past perhaps the initial fear or trepidation about, I don't know anything about that subject. I could never do that. And, and, and it creates at least a foundation for them. But I don't think it really prepares you, right, for the real world of difficult conversations. That so much as just experience then, I think, becomes the most important thing. So the example I gave earlier, difficult conversations, if you've never had any conversation, if you've never led a conversation or led a group or, or, or been a supervisor of a person or something like that, to have a difficult conversation is a huge leap. And so I think the first thing you have to do is ease people into just having conversations in general, not just being a, always a passive receiver of information, but leading conversations. And so you have to find opportunities before they are difficult conversations, just to have them lead conversations in general. Now, talking about the type of environment which will allow having difficult conversations with the peers as well as subordinates and the bosses, what, 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 what role does that culture or that environment play which will facilitate such dialogues resulting is more, in more productive outcomes? So I think the classroom training, just to, to wrap up, because I know we're short on time, um, creating an opportunity for them to take a lead in a non-judgmental um, environment and then letting them uh, ride along a shotgun in difficult conversations we have. I think leading by example, letting people see how we lead difficult conversations, whether they turn out the way we want them to or not. I think seeing us succeed and fail in difficult conversations for staff is important because we don't always succeed in difficult conversations. And then just repeating, reiterating those things, practicing, uh, coaching them when they have difficult conversations, uh, to go along with them, to support them, and, and understand that's part of the learning process, right? To be there to support our staff and to help train them as mentors um, without always having to jump in and save them and then coaching them after the fact about, well, you might want to think about this. I think all those elements are important because that's going to make our next generation of leaders that can, can lead and manage uh, difficult conversations. On behalf of the show and listeners, uh, thanks so much, John, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations and their respective leaders can teach others as well as practice leading difficult conversations. Thank you for having me. It was great to be on. Thank you again. And listeners, please like us on Facebook. Uh, uh, join us on our newsletter as well as uh, follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.